Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Well, good morning, everybody. And we are back with you on this Sunday morning, another edition of News You Can Use. It's so great to be here with you. I'm Ann Baldwin. And back by popular demand, we've got Ryan Brecklin. And he is a auctioneer with over 20 years of experience. Uh, he works for the family business called Nest Egg Auctions, which is located in Plantsville, Connecticut, but you do work nationally, internationally, and it's just such a cool topic, and I know a lot of you enjoyed our last conversation, so we want to continue that with you, Ryan, so thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Isn't it fun? Back to your back to your roots, right? Yeah, I like I like doing radio. That's that's where I I started in communications and 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 where I really got used to being on mic and on stage before I could you know, become an auctioneer full time. Well, you know, too bad that radio doesn't pay more, right? Or we'd all still be in it. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> yes. But life has to go on and we got to make a living. So here we are. All right. And things are really booming over at Nest Egg Auctions. Um, talk a little bit about some of the things because you've got other pockets of business within the overarching company. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, when Nest Egg Auctions was born, it was an everything auction company. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we would go into a house and do a full estate. If uh, things came in, we would sell whatever it was from storage lockers to tools to um, furniture and, and art. And after a while, you realize being a generalist isn't, isn't quite as profitable as being a specialist. So over the years we evolved, we created Connecticut Firearms Auction, which specializes in firearms and military objects. And we're, we're really happy to announce that we'll be adding a, a new division called Good Bottle Auctions. And that is something that's new in the state of Connecticut is we'll, we will have the ability to auction collectible spirits. Wow. So where do those come from? Uh, people have been collecting mostly whiskeys, but for many, many years, without a way to legally sell them. So the entire market was operating in, a, in either a gray area or a completely illegal area. Right, and now it's legal. Now it will be legal in Connecticut for you to bring uh, a collection of rare whiskeys or spirits to auction and we'll be able to sell it and give it to and, and send it out to any eligible state or buyer in the country. That's, that's really incredible. And why that niche? Why do you think that's gonna work? Uh, it's the same same principles that we apply to every other auction: scarcity and demand. So the the, the it takes a very long time to make a whiskey, mm-hmm. and they produce very little of certain ones. So no matter what the retail price might be when you walk into a liquor store, the demand is far higher. And rather than have people make illegal transactions or work in the gray market, we're bringing it into a completely legal way that you can take a, a bottle of whiskey maybe 10 years ago you paid $100 for. Mm-hmm. Today could be worth two dollars or $3,000. Really? Yeah. What's at the top of the list? Any brands or anything in particular that you 
know of? In the United States, there's a big demand for any of the Buffalo Trace products, the higher-end uh, antique collection like Weller, William LaRue Weller, um, George T. Stagg. There is also a, a great market for the smaller distilleries like Michter's and some of the higher-aged expressions that they sell. In addition to that, there's people who have collected scotch, scotch whiskey, for decades and have bottles dating back to the 1950s and the 1960s. So back in the day, we used to buy my father-in-law every year for Christmas one of the decanters that, you know, were different cars, cars or mm -hmm. trucks and mm -hmm. things like that. So over the course of time, that added up. There were about 30 of them until, you know, one of my relatives thought it was a good idea to open one and drink it. So are those things worth any money? I mean, I would assume they're worth something unless they're only if they're not opened. Right. They st they not only want to collect the decanter, but actually the liquid inside. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Don't drink your decanters. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> they, and, and I've seen them in, in, in both ways. 20 years ago, they just weren't really all that desirable. But as... Um, Collectors of whiskey have come to learn some of those decanters really have delicious and rare contents. So it's purchased not only as an investment, not only as something that people collect, but people are also opening them and drinking them. It doesn't go bad. Wow. But are they worth less if they're empty? Correct. Yeah. They're only worth a few dollars if they're empty a and few if somebody's bucks. interested. Okay. But the full decanters uh, can bring hundreds. Wow, that's amazing. So a lot of people out there also go to tag sales, right? What should people look for at a tag sale if you're looking for collectibles? And do you guys ever go to tag sales or more estate sales? Uh, I do go to tag sales, mostly because my son is nine and he thinks it's a, a hoot to bargain <laughs> and buy things uh -huh. for a couple of dollars. And I, I've, I've encouraged that with him. And so it's a lot of fun. Um, if you know art, you, you can pick up a good piece of art at a tag sale for very little money. Um, but probably the, the thing that you could find the most is, is gold jewelry that gets lost in costume jewelry and other things. And you could find a, a great deal on a piece of gold. Have you ever found anything at a tag sale? Absolutely. What? I was, this was more of a flea market, okay. but I bought a bronze vase for $20. And I, I had an idea of what it was, but I wasn't certain. Uh, by the time I got it authenticated, uh, it turns out it was a 450-year-old Chinese bronze vase, and it, it went to auction, and it brought $24,000. Are you serious? I'm serious. Oh, my gosh. That's a that's amazing. I, at the time, it was early in my career. This was a big score for me. Oh. And uh, I knew it was good, but it took me probably six months to find out how good it was and, and, and get it authenticated. So that's a that's a message too, right? It's you've got to take the time, you've got to do the research, you know, uh, and and find out what is worth. And it's not going to happen overnight. It sometimes it takes a real due diligence to dig into it and see exactly. Could you imagine if you didn't do that? I, I'm working on a painting now that I that I bought um, at like an estate sale for a few hundred dollars. And I believe that it's a, a American Hudson River painting. I, I know the location. I'm, I'm I'm certain on the artist, but it could take me over a year to get it in front of the right people and have them say yes, it's correct. And if that happens, it may be worth. I don't want to say a lot. Uh, it's five figures. How about that? Are you serious? Yeah, but but I could be wrong, and uh -huh. and okay. and I I could fail to get authentication, and it could be just a really nice painting that hangs on my wall. I bet you got a lot of things in your home, don't you? You a little bit of a collector? It, it looks impressive, but really, it's all it's all my mistakes that I paid too much for <laughs> over the years. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking speaking with Ryan Brecklin, and Ryan is also um, 
like I said, an auctioneer, 20 years of experience, and you're a licensed firearms dealer as well. And uh, you've got all the licensing, you've got all the cred, as we say. Um, so that's also another piece of your business, the firearms auction. We, we deal with a lot of estates um, when it comes to firearms, and it's generally the first thing that an executor or executrix will worry about because it's regulated, right? because it's, it, um, it needs to be handled properly, and everyone involved needs to do it safely. Um, and we created that business as a service so that if, if, you're, if you're dealing with an estate firearms collection, we can handle absolutely everything. You call, we say, no problem, we'll make sure everything's safe, we can legally process everything and get it sold and, and realize the best possible price for you in the, you know, in the process of it. Right, because it's something that just a lot of people, you just don't know the value and you want to really go to somebody who's trusted and more importantly, who's licensed, correct? Correct. You, in the state of Connecticut, you absolutely have to deal with a licensed dealer. Are there certain pockets of the country or certain parts of Connecticut where more people collect, let's say, firearms than anywhere else? I, I would love to answer that, but I have found enormous collections in the strangest places. You know, just... You go out to a barn and you realize that the entire attic is full and someone has 500 guns in the barn. What a, what a task that must be. We did an estate in Cheshire, uh, the second or third oldest house in Cheshire, and the, there was a secret door behind the fireplace and had all the family's original Civil War guns in it. And they didn't know it or they did know that? They, they knew were... that they were there, but um, the owner of the home slowly declined in his later years and just neglected to really tell anybody what was there. And when he passed and the family came in, uh, they found a little latch behind the fireplace and opened it up and they were pristine. They're absolutely beautiful. So take us through that process. So then what happens? When we handle a firearms collection, we're going to make an inventory. We're going to write down the serial numbers. We produce a contract. And once all the paperwork is filed, we take possession. They get vaulted. Um, and they go through a process of photography and cataloging and then get listed for sale in one of our auctions. So what are the implications, too? So can people still come put their butts in the seats and still join online? How do you know that you're selling to people who can actually possess a firearm? Uh, we do two in-person premier auctions per year, and that's the historical guns and higher value guns. And then we'll do between eight and ten online only. So that's lots of uh, work-a-day guns, basic hunting and shotguns and things like that. Uh, if someone purchases from us in Connecticut and they're eligible with a permit and able to receive, they can come pick up from us. And we handle the transfer and the background checks and make sure that everything's squared away. If someone in another state purchases a firearm from us, we mail it to a licensed dealer in that state and, file, and follow all of the federal and state rules. So let's go back to the Cheshire World War, what'd you say? It was Civil War. Guns, Civil yeah. War, oh my gosh. So what did that bring to auction? Uh, that family actually elected to keep them, and I was really happy about it. Why? Because they were guns that were used by that family in the Civil War, and it was important to them to preserve the family's history. So we assisted them with the collection, but I was really happy that they were able to pass something down to the next generation to say that this actually was my great-great-great-grandfather's musket in the Civil War. But what do, the next generation doesn't care, do they? I hope they do. So you weren't upset. You spent your time. You spent your energy. You go to this house. Nothing was in it for you. Oh, no. There was lots of antiques and art, and there was uh, some amazing, uh, there was uh, buttons, Civil War buttons in there that were from a Zouave's uniform. I think they brought somewhere around uh, three or $4,000 just for a set of buttons. 
And uh, this is one, early on in my career that I was handling this estate, and uh, I was left to do some of the cleanout by myself. And uh, I, I went into a closet. I was finding some things that were good for sale, and I tugged on an old sheet. And as I tugged on the old sheet, something comes crashing off the top shelf straight at my face, and it was a bear. <laughs> and I screamed like a little girl. And it turns out it was a bearskin rug that had a full head mount with oh, the skull still in it. Oh, my gosh. I, uh, I had not been so frightened in a house by a creepy old house by myself, and all of a sudden I'm attacked by a bear. Did you sell that too? Yeah, yeah. The bear, it had a few moth holes in it, but we still sold it. Unbelievable. I just love these stories. Who are the people that are on the other end? You know, you said you've got, you know, people all over the world now with technology. You don't have to be sitting right there. So who are these people that are interested in these objects? Do you have any idea? Yeah. uh, Some of the people who are interested in these objects are strictly investors. They're looking for a certain category. One of our best categories for firearms is Colt Firearms, made right here in Connecticut. And uh, they're some of the most rare and desirable versions of these guns, whether it be from the Civil War or a very early Samuel Colt Walker, something like that, or uh, something with historical significance, in which case you start to get into institutions who say, listen, we we know who owned this gun or whom it was presented to, and we want an example of that for our museum, or we want to add it to a collection for even uh, scholarly purposes. And is it, how long does it, do you let the bidding process go? How do you know when enough is enough? <laughs> That's my job as, as auctioneer, the auctioneer, right? right? I mean, do you kind of pick a favorite? I'm sure you can't do that. Do you go for the highest price? And when when are you done? When we publish a catalog, meaning that we're done writing all of our text and taking all of our photos, it gets released about 30 days before the actual auction day. And that's when pre-bidding starts. So we're advertising, we're reaching out to our list. We're showing the different platforms. Okay, these these objects are available for bidding. And people start the fire. It starts to smolder, and they bid against each other. And this guy goes 50, and that person goes 50. And then before you know it, something's bid up to $1,500 or $1,800. And then the auction day starts. So we pause the pre-bidding, and we open it live. So you can bid both on the computer live, and you can bid from the audience live. And in some cases, we'll get some some high rollers and some whales, and they'll be on the phones bidding live. And I'll physically stand at the podium and take those last few bids to bring it to wherever it's going to land. And do the people that don't win get upset? Not usually. It's 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 <laughs> occasionally <laughs> we get something called a tie. So you'll have someone who says I'll bid ten thousand, and another person who says I'll bid ten thousand. Well, I have to choose one. I can't sell it twice. And you pick one and you go, well, now if you want to increase, you need to be $11,000. And if they don't bid again, then they're the underbidder, so they lose. Mm, Dangerous job, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. How hard is it? How hard is the technique of being an auctioneer? The, the, The actual calling of the auction and the chant, once you get into the rhythm of it, it's super easy. It's like a trance. But it could take you probably a year or two to actually get used to it if you don't get to do it for long periods of time. So uh, most people who work uh, in our building get the opportunity to try. Really? We said, you know, and some people are nervous. Are you hiring? Yeah, (laughs) maybe. Um, I promote from within, so you're going to have to start in shipping. Oh, shoot. No thanks. (laughs) And um, once you get into a rhythm, both with your online bidders and and your bidders in the audience, it's not a problem at all. Everybody understands where the next bid point is and what the rhythm of the sale is. It's when you when you get tripped up on either a really low value item or a really high value item. So when I, with a high value item, I'm going to take my time, and I might not even chant. I might be at fifty thousand, now fifty five thousand, 
I really want time for the next bid point to be communicated both over the phone, on the internet, and to, to sell it for the most possible because uh, that's the best thing about an auctioneer, by the way. We work in our client's best interest. We make more if it sells for more, right. so we want to sell it for more. Well, I remember back in the day when I worked at Channel 30, people would ask me, you know, if I MC an event, like a charity event, right? And then at the end, there's usually an auction. Mm -hmm. And I would say, as long as people are drinking, I'll do it. Because have you ever, you do it all the time, I'm sure, try to auction to a sober audience for a charity event? It's It doesn't work well, right? Mm-hmm. So, I've done many benefits. So at one point, um, it was for a school, I remember, and... I thought this guy had his hand up and it was the last bid and I said, sold. Well, he got so upset. And it was, I think like 200 bucks or something that, that I picked him. Well, I thought he had his hand up. Seriously, I had to be escorted to my car because the guy was so crazy about me picking him as a bid. And of course we gave it to the next bidder, but um, it can be a little bit of a challenge, right? So the, there's a sweet spot there. Okay. You want the auction. So if you're running a benefit and running a benefit auction, your audience needs to have some drinks in them, yes. but not too many too many. Drinks there in you them. go. So you have to be somewhere around the middle of the event. And you can't play the sad uh, puppy dog videos right before the auction comes on. Why? Because Doesn't that motivate the, them? No, you don't. You want people to be up. You want people to feel generous. You want. You don't want to bring them down and make them sad. You want to. You want to get people up and explain that we're we're raising funds. We want you to be part of the team. And then uh, the other secret is to over ask. Start the bid higher. Absolutely. Have you ever had to auction off something though that nobody wants? Um, I've had a few challenging things at benefit auctions, which is why I'm selective with who I work with. But I don't charge for, for conducting a benefit auction. I, I will donate my time. Really? But I only have so many days in the year. I know. So, um, but there are benefit auctioneers for hire. And if your concern is to raise money through a lot of items at auction, I strongly recommend that you use a professional paid benefit auctioneer. Yeah, and it's and it's kind of a fun element to any event too to have somebody that really does it up there in front and it just adds, you know, it's part of the experience, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and and a good auctioneer will get the most money for you because that audience is not a professional bidding audience. They right. don't do this every week. Yes. That might be the only auction they attend this year or in the next 5 years. Right. So it's fun. But they don't always know what they're doing, so you have to really work the crowd. Right. So a lot of people at home have collections of things. And, and so what's hot right now for auction? Let's say, because we talked about you previously, where a lot of people, like myself, I collect paperweights. That's my thing. I just, I've always loved them. I still love them. But I know that nobody else, my kids don't want them. They've made that quite clear. And, you know, and it's, it's not, I mean, it's not something I can just like, you know, put in a box and ship. These things are heavy, right? So I need to know when I get to that point that I need to say, okay, these were nice for me, but now I'm going to downsize. So then what do I do? Finding the right way to sell something. I, I, I have a lot of experience in different platforms and different ways of selling. So it's very easy for me to say, I think there's a correct way to sell anything. Mm -hmm. You know, what methods would you use to sell a car? What method would you use to sell a house? But when it comes to collectibles, you might want to consider an auctioneer. Or you might want to consider if you're technologically advanced using something like eBay. Yeah. Or uh, Etsy or one of the other platforms that allows you to put it out there and set a price. Do you ever sell some of the things that you bring in on those platforms or is it all done in-house? Everything's done in-house. We handle it ourselves. And what do you do with the stuff that you've got that nobody wants? Well, usually if you have something that has no value or very low value, donation is a great way to do it. 
those the 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 different donation shops are, are are bustling and those things are raising money for their organizations and it's a good thing you know consignment shops and secondhand shops it's it's kind of the thing now it's kind of trending really with the younger generation i know a lot of you know my kids my nieces my nephews they all want to go to secondhand shops and you can find some pretty good things there for clothing it can't be beat for clothing and designer objects and even some furniture and jewelry and that sort of things yeah, it could be a really, really good uh, resource. So uh, we let's go back to the firearms. Let's give people your websites in case, you know, maybe mom or dad has a collection or you just want to inquire or you're curious about knowing what something might be worth. How can people reach you? For the firearms, you can reach uh, Connecticut Firearms Auction at ctfirearmsauction.com. And uh, there's a pathway there for you to contact us and reach out to us. Even if you just have, let's say, one firearm that you're curious is this something special we can help you with a yes or no answer on that or if you have a a full collection and you're like what what am i going to do with these and how can i do it legally and safely that's what we specialize in and what about people who have vinyl records vinyl records um i would look for a trustworthy dealer of vinyl records uh you can sell them on your own but there are grading standards for the covers for the records themselves uh, there's absolutely a good market out there for them. Do a lot of people give away stuff that they don't realize what the value is? All the time. So you have to be really careful. I, I, you asked me about the tag sales and what could you find. If, if you leave a big chunk of gold in that box of costume jewelry, you're, you're leaving money on the table that you could, that you could test or, or, or figure out if it's real and, and, and sell for something significant. And what about the things people leave in their pockets? <laughs> uh, I did do an estate like that. It was in, in Bloomfield. And um, we thought it was strange that we couldn't find any jewelry in the house uh-huh. because this was a this was a, someone who passed away with no heirs. And now we're selling the things to settle the estate and didn't find a single bit of jewelry. And as we're going through the closets, we realize, oh, there's a pin on this coat. Oh, there's a ring in the pocket. She had taken her jewelry and hidden one piece or two pieces of jewelry in every item of clothing in the closet in order to hide it from, let's say, like a burglar or intruder yeah. or something. And we and we found close to $20,000 worth of jewelry just hidden in pockets. Check your pockets, people. There's right? Yeah, there's things in, in, in the houses as well where you have to make sure that someone didn't bury something in the backyard or hide it behind a loose brick in the basement. Well, I know my neighbor. He told me. He said, you know, that he had tons of cash that he had made a little compartment in his basement, and then it was hidden in there. And he said to me, you know, if one day I'm not here you got to tell somebody that that money's in there. And then one day he wasn't here and his kids came like flies on, you know what? And, uh, and it was so sad. It was such a sad story because this guy was a military veteran and what these people did, I think was so wrong. They just opened up the house, a state sale, come on. It was like they were still there, but yet all of his military medals, all these things were just there. Two bucks, three bucks, I bought his wife's, you know, set of china because I loved her and I thought my daughter would want it. And all these quilts and all these paintings that she did just, you know, tags on them for five bucks. What I encourage a family to do, especially with like military artifacts like that, keep everything together. It's considered an archive. So the objects that belong to one person and the conflict that they were involved in or the time that they served, keeping it together preserves it for either a future generation of your family, whether you want it or not, mm-hmm. what if your kid or, right. or even another generation yeah. down the line wants it? That's right. legacy type items. Or if you choose to sell it, it's worth more to a collector or an institution when everything is kept together as an archive, whether that's photographs, 
uh, weapons, um, uh, artifacts, and, and it doesn't just apply to that category. It's the same with paintings and drawings. Sometimes the objects should stay together and you should consider whether or not to keep it before you sell it because once you sell it, you'll never it's gone. see it again. It's gone. What about the Barbie movies out? I got a lot of old Barbies. Are they going to be worth anything? <sighs> when you say old Barbies, how old? <laughs> Not that old. Okay, so 19, <laughs> what did I think it's 1950s? Yeah, 57, yeah, yeah. 58 yeah. for yeah. the first, you know the first Barbie wasn't blonde, right? No. First Barbie was a brunette. Oh, shame on her. Yeah, I think, I think next <laughs> but year what she, she blonde, what's but what's she worth? Uh, a mint condition, first edition Barbies, ten to $20,000, I think. I, I'm speechless. So this is a, a situation where condition is so important. You had dolls growing up. Yep. And what did you do to your dolls? Opened up the box, threw it away, and played. And you probably cut the hair. Yeah. Maybe gave her a little yeah. rouge with a crayola. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So Took her clothes off. Yeah. This, this, <laughs> this happened to all of them. So when you find one that is untouched, pristine, the hair is not cut, the makeup's still right, there's no scratches, and all their clothing is how it was born in the 1950s, Someone will pay a premium for that. Should you keep things that you think might be worth something in a box? Well, well some things yes and some things no, right? Um, some things need to breathe, you know, and maybe not have direct sunlight. And some things, if you seal them up in a box, like think old films mm -hmm. or old cassette tapes or things like that, they don't like being suffocated like that, and they will suffer. Okay, so open up the dolls and play with them. That's They're going to be worth just as much as if they were in the box, right? You know, if you're gentle with it, I think you should enjoy every object you yeah. have. Why, why, why put it on a shelf and never touch it again? All right, we got about 30 seconds. What's your best piece of advice? My best piece of advice is to consult a professional and make good decisions for your family, yourself, and your collection. All do, right. it, do it right and own it. And own it. And think in advance. Think in advance about... You know things, and maybe you've got an elderly person in your life that thinks their things are worth something. Bring in that auctioneer and give them a reality check, right? But while they're still around, yeah. And and you know what? Control your own collection while you're still around, and you have the faculties to handle it on your own and on your own terms. Okay, I have stopped, by the way, collecting paperweights. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. <laughs> Don't give me any more. Ryan Brecklin, thank you so much. What a fun conversation, and hopefully um, some of you out there got some good information. Now you're going to go around and check and see what you got that might be worth something, I hope. Thank you, Ann. All right, and thank you for tuning in to this edition of News You Can Use. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is kind. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. 
Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.